0: Again, this is just just a greeting. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I think we would say we all agree with that this morning. So I'll just pray around that verse and say, Lord, with that verse in mind, we do give reverence and we do submit to your word. We esteem your word very, very highly. Uh, Whether it's for doctrine whether it's for reproof, whether it's for correction or instruction, may we receive that today and uh, we just ask the Lord to, uh, to make his word alive unto us. Amen. I'll take the opportunity today to just pick up on where I left off a, week, a few weeks ago, and that's on the Beatitudes. And over the last, um, it's almost two years now, here and there I've been just um, picking the Beatitudes um, sequentially, and we're up this morning to Beatitude number six and um, Beatitudes are quite amazing um, words from from Jesus himself. And uh, before I do that as I've done in the the previous uh, occasions I've spoken on the Beatitudes, I'll just do a quick recap. So we've learned to date that the Beatitudes, they're paradoxical or they have a seemingly contradictory or absurd element to them. And example of that is, you know, Blessed are the poor, so, or blessed are those who mourn. Who mourn? Um, we would think that doing so is not a blessing, but Jesus sees things differently. And it is by the Holy Spirit that we outwork these beatitudes. You know, when you study these beatitudes, you find that the emphasis is not on a person's talents or his abilities, but it's um, it's what's on the inside of the believer that counts. And I heard a preacher say once, and um, it's probably worth remembering, that they're not do attitudes, they're be attitudes. It's not something that we're doing, it's something that's emanating or or coming out of us as believers. And um, we learned before that they follow on from salvation and that they are a progression in becoming Christ-like. Or you could say they're they're parallel with sanctification. And we remember this morning that the Lord looks at the heart and the heart is where we are going to go today because we're looking at Beatitude number six, which concerns the pure in heart. Now, we learned that a Christian walk begins with poverty of spirit. And this means that we are broken and humble enough to realize that we're absolutely lost, um, but for the grace of God, and that there is nothing we can bring to God that uh, will earn us our salvation. So it's a good starting point. And we also learned that true repentance... It has an aspect of mourning to it, genuine mourning, because we must know first what we've done and who we've offended and how we've offended to appreciate the gravity of sin and consequently to realize the magnitude of salvation and what's been wrought for us on the cross. And we just heard the cross, about the cross there in detail from Jeremy. So repentance and salvation, they're not separable. We've learned that before. And we could say that no action or no human response takes away from the fact that Jesus himself um, died on the cross. And it's only because of that that we are beneficiaries of the salvation that we, we uh, enjoy, and it's a wonderful thing. So we've got to be careful not to mix up the cause and the effect. Everything goes back to Jesus and goes back to what was done on the cross. And we also learned that the meek, the meek Christian, that's the one who's been broken before God, and he realizes that there's nothing special about him that he is a saved sinner among sinners. So we can't big not ourselves because we're saved or think that we're special because there's nothing we've done. It's all been done for us. And we should look, look to the unsaved with that view that you know we were once there and that they need to be saved. We look to the lost, I should say. And then we have the, the hungry Christian. And, and we learned the last time or we said the last time that most people believe they're basically good. And there's nothing new about self-righteousness and the importance that people attach to displaying it. So biblical righteousness, however, that is doing what's right in the sight of God. And righteousness, it's an attribute of God that no man can achieve in his own efforts. It comes from God. So in spiritual terms, the hunger and thirst for righteousness and the things of God, they're the signs of a real and a maturing believer. And in the last time we spoke a few weeks back, it concerned the merciful Christian. But for the mercy and for the grace of God, which was extended to us while we were yet sinners, we would all be lost this morning and all destined for an eternity in hell. And it's a good thing to stop and just to realize that from time to time. But because God has shown great mercy to us, we in turn should be willing to extend the same mercy To others. And the last time we looked at the uh, parable in Matthew 18, verse 23 to 35, concerning the unforgiving servant. And um, the bottom line of that parable is that God takes a fairly serious view of us being merciful and forgiving to others. And in fact, he says, if you don't forgive, he won't forgive you either. So it's a pretty heavy, heavy scripture and heavy, heavy thought. So we need to be merciful and we need to display that that beatitude. So we can see when we look at those beatitudes that they're the opposite to everything the world values. Um, we learned that the world system puts an emphasis on materialism, seeking pleasure, self-assertion, and, and toughness, and all those things that uh, you see displayed when you look at the, uh, you know, the media or the entertainment of the world. But the, Christian, the true Christian walk is opposite to that. And so these beatitudes they show the order of the development of a true Christian. Now so far we've covered the the poor in spirit, those who are mournful, the meek, and the hungry and the thirsty, the merciful. And today we're going to look at the pure in heart. The heart is a very big topic in scripture. And uh, I don't pretend we'll cover it fully today, but, but um, hopefully it it's, it's, uh, provokes thought and, and uh, consideration. So the Sermon on the Mount, it opens at 12 verses. And of course, they're the Beatitudes, which we're looking at. And they are very, very powerful, and they're pretty much diametrically opposed to the world system. And they lead into what we call the greatest sermon ever preached, running between chapters five in chapter 7 of Matthew, and it also appears in in some of the other Gospels. I don't know if anybody's ever listened or heard of a South African preacher called Keith Daniels, and he passed away last year, but he had a a God-given gift to remember quite lengthy passages of Scripture, and, um, you know, I've I've heard him, he would preach you know, at length, and cover from memory, pretty much all of chapters 5 to 7, and uh, it would be a wonderful thing to be able to do that because there's so much content in there that uh, would be powerful um, for preaching and for witnessing to be able to recall all of what Jesus has to say in those chapters. So I want to read again, as we've done in the previous occasions, Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 12. and uh, We can dwell on each of these as we go through them, but pay special attention to verse 8. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain... When he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And that was an interesting one, because the reward is the same as the, out, the outworking. You, know, you have mercy for mercy. And today's one, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, which is a wonderful promise. And reading on further, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Another sobering thought is that all of these Beatitudes culminate in persecution. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The the sixth Beatitude. Now the fifth and sixth Beatitudes are different to the first four. Again, just quickly, blessed are the poor in spirit, knowing your condition before a holy God. Blessed are they that mourn, mourning and repenting because of your condition. Blessed are the meek, the meek saint, broken before God, realising that he is but a saved sinner. Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. After poverty, mourning, and meekness, the Christian has a desire to hunger for righteousness to please God. So the first four Beatitudes concern good and necessary changes in the heart of the believer. And in the first three, the emptiness of the heart is expressed, followed by in the fourth, by hunger for righteousness. And having this godly righteousness will outwork in the next three, which is mercy, which we've covered, in purity, which we're looking at today, and finally, in being a peacemaker. And I think I said the last time that they were similar to the Ten Commandments. And the first group are directed, you know, the first group in the Ten Commandments are directed to God. And the second towards our fellow human beings. In the Beatitudes, we have the ones that are inward and then the the ones that are going outward to our fellow man. So, a good question to start with, I think, for this is what actually is the heart? And um, what does Jesus mean by the heart when he's uh, talking here? And the Bible has a lot to say about the heart of man. You know, the physical heart is quite easy to define. You know, it's a Basically, it's a peristaltic pump that does that all the days of your life and squeezes blood through your arteries. And um, you know, if it stops, you're in trouble, basically. But the, the best definition that I can find of the spiritual side of it, or spiritual, um, or non-physical, we would say, aspect of the heart is that it's a composition of all the components of the soul. That is, the, the mind, the emotions, and the will and also includes part of the spirit being the conscience. And um, if you want to actually check at your own leisure, I won't read them, but the scriptures that support that are Matthew 9, verse 4, Acts eleven twenty three, 23, John 16, verse 22, and Hebrews 10, verse 22. So the heart, it's really the inner workings of a man. You now it can be open, it can be closed, it can be deceitful, it can be hardened, it can be corrupted. So it can be bent in a lot of different directions. Hence, we have to be careful. We have to look after it and make sure that we're pointing it and and, uh, tending to it so it's going the right direction. Uh, We know some of these these, uh, scriptures here which are written down. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Romans 10, verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation and uh, finally Matthew 13 verse 15 for this people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing <clears throat> and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their heart, their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them so the thought there you understand understanding with your heart normally we think of understanding with our minds so the heart Appears throughout Scripture, and um, you know it's important. And I just uh, in preparing, I found this, uh, an interesting item here that Martin Luther, who uh, the great reformer, he said that he was more afraid of his own heart than the Pope and all his cardinals. So if a man like him can understand the, the deception that the heart can, can bring about, it's a good thing for us too to to uh, realize that the heart, as the Scripture says, is deceitful above all and can lead us in all sorts of different directions if we're not careful. So the heart, it's a vital part of the link between God and man. And if you read through the scriptures, you'll see that God, in many cases, you know, the wording is that he's talking through the hearts or to the hearts of people. Next question then is what actually is a pure heart? Now I would have thought before that a pure heart is a heart that is without sin. And maybe that is the direction that those who hold to the idea of sinless perfection, where they would come from. But we know that in 1 John 1 verse 8 it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So I believe the truth is that we will have to resist temptation and fight sin until the day we die or we're glorified. So it's something that's ever-present and ever-real. In, in the life, so once we're attached to this body of flesh. And the Greek word used in, in that uh, beatitude is the source of the English word cathartic, which is, which, is, which is linked to well-being or being cleansed or purified. Now, part of the work I do from day to day is building and designing pro, uh, control systems and systems that filter process samples. And if you don't have a pure sample for some of the systems I'd be working with, you're going to get a wrong result, or you're going to do damage, or you're going to ship substandard product. And I don't know if anybody remembers a few years ago when the, I think it was a refinery in Melbourne, they, they had contaminated Avgas, and uh, they had to stop flying planes as a, as a result. So, so contamination and uh, pollution are important topics, but important when we take, put them into the, uh, the spiritual context. So what does Jesus actually mean by a pure heart if he's not talking about sinless perfection? And I think in Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, and there's probably other scriptures, you can get an answer to that question. And that particular, those particular verses, they read as follows. <clears throat> who will ascend unto the hill, into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart and are not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So this speaks of a man or a woman who is pure both in actions, the hands, and in their intentions, the heart. And furthermore, the meaning of not lifting up one's soul unto vanity, you'll find in other translations, it's talking about idols. or It's, it's one who has no idolatry in his life. And to not swear deceitfully is really the thought there is to be honest and upright in dealing with your fellow men. So a pure heart is one where idolatry in all its forms and dishonesty and falseness in all its forms has been filtered out. So you keep that thought in your mind of the idea of a filter and um, perhaps a a water filter or even even our own bodies have filters in them that filter, filter the blood and filter out contaminants and impurities. So a pure heart is one where idolatry in all its forms has been filtered out. And that's we hold on to that thought. Now, a good example of this in scripture, just to, to, to give an idea, is I think the account of Jesus talking to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, verse 16 to 22. And he says there, And behold one came, behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. He said unto him, which? And Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honour thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And the young man then said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor. and Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." You see, this morning, for all of us, it's easy to look on the outside of a person or an individual, and human nature is that we do so, and if we're honest, we probably do it more often than we should. That young man asked all the right questions. He said the right things, but he had an idol in his life, and um, Jesus put his finger on that idol, and the idol obviously was his possessions and his wealth. if you have an idol this morning, or if I have an idol in my life, we have a God who's a jealous God. And that idol needs to be filtered out because God is not going to share his, rela- you know, his relationship with us, with another. So, you know, and the, the, the thought that came to my mind there, if your heart's polluted, I don't know if you, if you ever stood and looked into a pond, if you have a, a turbid pond, or it's actually full of, um, perhaps like the Yarra, if it's brown and full of... Um, of uh, contamination, whatever sort it is, you won't see the bottom. And it's always nice to see the bottom. It's nice to see fish and life swimming around. But if it's um, contaminated, you're not going to see the bottom. And, uh, you know, with a polluted heart, we too won't see God or we won't have perhaps the presence of God in our lives as we would wish. So if you are seen in the church as like the rich young ruler... You know, this is a question for all of us this morning or a statement for all of us. If you're seen as a person like the rich young ruler and you give all the right signs, all the right outward signs, but in your day-to-day life you're dishonest in your dealings, you're abusive or you mistreat your family, you know, or you can make a long list of things that are wrong. God's going to know them. The other person around you might know them. We mightn't all have the discernment to, to see into each other's lives, but you won't fool God. God will know, and it's going to hamper your walk with God. You're not going to have that vision or that uh, presence or that uh, revelation, all those things you desire as, as a, a real Christian. So you can fool around, but you, can't fool, you won't fool God. So in the account of the rich young ruler, Jesus, he's merciful, and he gives him the solution to a spiritual situation. But he chooses to ignore the advice and he goes away very sad, the scripture says. Now that same mercy is extended to all of us this morning. And, um, you know, when our hearts are polluted with idolatry and dishonest dealing, no matter how small or how big that is, we have the same choice. So we can decide to take one of two roads. We can take the road of compromise and um, ignore those things that are pollutants, or we can take the narrow road of repentance. And if we want to see and experience gods in a real way in our lives, we need to take the narrow road. Now, 1 John 1.6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, if you look at the Old Testament even, even the prophets were not immune from the trap of judging outwardly. And we all know the case when Samuel came to see the sons of Jesse. And 1 Samuel 16 verse six, it says there, and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So he must have been quite an impressive young guy, maybe tall and strong and good looking. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him for the lord see it not as a man see it for man looketh on the outward appearance but the lord look at on the heart and if you read the rest of the account you find that's that um, samuel went through the rest of his sons again before he finally got to david so it, and if you consider jeremiah and you consider um, ezekiel they too had a lot to say about the condition of the heart and you know getting a, a heart of flesh the heart of stone that 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 uh, you know that that's um, in us when we're non-believers and getting a heart of flesh and getting a heart that's soft and relates to God. So next question is, how does God purify the heart? And I think we might have touched on this this morning. John 15 verse one, it says, "I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit." Now, ye are clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. It's the washing of the word. So, we are cleansed and purified by the washing of the word. And, of course, you know, it's self evident from that, too. That's not just that we we hear the word, we must do it and we must obey it before that action of purification is going to be realized in our lives. How do we maintain a pure heart? Now, as you expect, the scriptures. I have a lot to say and there's ample instruction. But I just picked a few here. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, if your heart is divided and your allegiance is torn, you're not going to be pure before God. God doesn't demand 95%, but 100% of our hearts. And there can only be one Lord and one master. Again, Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. A couple of more then, just to illustrate the point. James 4, verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded and I think um, double-mindedness goes hand-in-hand hand in hand with um, having a, a heart that's, that, that's also torn in different directions or has impurity in it. And Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue... And if there be any praise, think on these things. <clears throat> now, I added a couple of um, my own thoughts here, and, which are also, I believe, in Scripture. Do not give an occasion for sin, and at all costs seek to avoid it. If you think back to what Pastor Gary said a few weeks back, and he preached about, I think it was the, um, the idol in the camp, And he brought it into modern-day terms concerning Christians or where Christians frequent. So if we're frequenting nightclubs or places of obvious sin, you're asking for trouble. And um, another another one would be to flee youthful lusts. To be careful of the company you keep. Evil company does corrupt good manners. To not be unequally yoked. And we know all this. And finally to maintain that purity. Confess your sins and repent continually if necessary. And don't try high things. Don't be like David. Don't be like David. And we'll touch on him in a minute. Now the promise that comes from this particular beatitude is a wonderful one. For they shall see God. All of the beatitudes end with a promise. And I don't think you could ask for a better promise than this one. Now you, we know that one day we'll see Jesus face to face. And the scripture says we will be like him and when we are glorified. But this beatitude as we see, as we read this morning, it has a present component. We want to experience God here and now in our lives by his spirit. We need to be pure in heart. So it's not just at the end of time, it's through our walk and day to day life in the Lord. And we know that scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12. Now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as also I am known. So we don't see Jesus in his physical um, capacity now, but we see Jesus in the hearts of others. We see Jesus in the word. We, um, you know, we encounter him through the spirit of God. The spirit of God points us to Jesus. So he's real in our lives. He's real in the, in the lives of a believer. But he does draw back if our hearts are not right before him. And it's in that sense that we see him. Psalm 92, or sorry, Psalm 32, I should say, just on the thought of David. David expresses in that psalm, if you read through it, the blessing of being in a right relationship with God. And if you read through it, you'll find that some key points come out, that that person's sins and transgressions are covered. There's no iniquity or guile in him. God is for him. God is on his side. God is that person's hiding place. God will protect that person and God will instruct and teach him. And that to me, that also is the reality of, of, of seeing God in your walk as we, as we live in this, this world and this life. And if you look, he contrasts that also in the same psalm with the futility of hiding and not dealing with sin. And as a consequence, you can read that as body and soul, they suffered, and so will ours. If we try to actually sit on sin or hide sin from others and not deal with it, it will work in different ways. And it can be through bad health. It could be through depression or mental illness, many, many ways. We're not to be like the horse or mule, which has to be restrained with a bit and a bridle, it says in that particular psalm. And the psalm it closes with, I think, a very good summary. The last verse, it says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. So if we're upright in heart, we've got reason to rejoice. Uh, just a couple of conclusions and closing thoughts this morning. We should be honest with God about our hearts. You know, sometimes I do myself, even sitting here, and I have to be honest, and I'm sure everybody would have the same experience at the types of thought that sometimes drop into your heart. You know, you could be in church, you could be at home, you could be out with friends, or, or whatever. And it's quite amazing what the, the heart is capable of dredging up. And, you know, we have to take those sort of thoughts captive and deal with them. They're not nice, but they're real. And I think Satan can, can do that to, to believers. I don't believe he's, uh, he's a mind reader but he can certainly drop thoughts and drop temptations, drop other things into your heart that are not good. So only by, only God can make the heart pure by the washing of his word. And our part then is to apply and to obey the word. And I'll just close with a short illustration for those who remember their history, their English history. If anybody remembers Sir Walter Raleigh, and uh, he was a a nobleman, an explorer, a writer, he was a, um, a courtier to the queen. He was the one who brought, introduced the potato, and also tobacco. Now, his life ended, unfortunately, in the hands of the executioner. But it's written that what he said is, at his time of execution, when asked by the executioner if his head lay correctly on a chopping block, and he said, it matters little, my friend, how the head lies, provided the heart is right. And uh, that's a good thing just to try prompt your memory. It's the heart that, that uh, is important. And Jesus deals with us through the heart. And I'll close this morning with a question for all of us, myself included. Is your heart, is my heart right before God? God knows the secrets of our hearts. There's nothing hidden from him. If there's pollution or contamination of any sort, learn from David in, in Psalm 32. And don't persist, but bring it before the before God and have it dealt with. Amen. So God bless you all this morning and uh, have some coffee and tea and fellowship. And uh, we just want to close the service and thank the Lord. We thank you, Lord, this morning for each individual here.